Hey everyone, James Labrie from Dream Theater, and you're listening to or watching the podcast Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. Enjoy this. These guys are extremely informative. I love their dialogue. I love their interpretation of the songs, who and what we are, what we were going after. They're very uh, accurate in their uh, interpretations and descriptions. And uh, just I just think this is a great show. And these guys are doing a, a stand-up stellar job. So once again, enjoy Talking Into Infinity with JT and Brian. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater-centric podcast. I am your host, John. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMSNetwork.com. We are live at those four fine locations every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you are checking us out on YouTube, please don't forget to click that like button. Click that subscribe button and smash the notification bell so that you are notified every single time we go live. If you would like to catch video replays of the show, just go to our YouTube channel or you can check out the YouTube channel uh, YouTube channel, excuse me, of the CMS network. And if you'd like to download audio versions of the podcast, just Google Talking Into Infinity Podcast and we are on any number of platforms where you get your podcast. So, uh, without further ado, let me bring on my good friend, Mr. Mr. Brian, Brian Hendrickson. Hendrickson. How's, it, How's going, it going, man? Do you think James still thinks we do a stand-up job? You would hope so. what we do. You would hope so. Yeah. It's been a while, man, since I've done a stand-up job on the show. I'm pretty excited about this episode, I guess. I, I, you know, I originally was not, and we're going to be doing probably some repeats of stuff that we've talked about before, because wasn't our very first episode, You Let Out the Bag, This Is Your Favorite Album? Yeah, I, think I think so. so. That's kind of what we did, Can I, and I was shocked because I thought you were going to say the first album. <laughs> no, no. I, it's up that's there, up but there, it's not. It's not, it's not it's on not the uh, same uh, level as uh, falling, falling into infinity. infinity so. so, yeah, you know, we got we got to do a little bit of housekeeping, some announcements. So, there's actually okay. now we have now three ways, I guess, to watch us live. So we have our our YouTube page, right? Our Facebook mm-hmm. page, and now you can also watch us on CMSTV.net. www.cmstv.net. We're streaming live on there. And all of the CMS Network shows are on there, and we'll be streaming basically every Thursday live. Um, and all the other shows um, that Chris has going on over there, Classic Metal Show, Seth Williams Show, Aftershocks TV. Um, what else do we have? Good Company. I don't know what that is. Some of these are new. we got to check some of these out. Poppets Corner. Yes. Isn't that more like metal-ish? Poppets Corner is like, like a death, death metal, metal show. show. Death Metal Show? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what today's boondoggle is. I have no idea. So... Um, <laughs> But there's also like there's so many cool things. So I just today downloaded the CMS uh, network app, which has like eight million shows on there that you can basically immediately access as well. Yep, yep. So if you guys are trying to find our shows, like there's just so many ways to find them now. Um, there's also one new. There's another thing is a CMS network app. It's on Amazon, so it's on the Fire Sticks and other Amazon devices. And each of I guess so if you go there. Get the app. Every show is going to have its own 
actual logo and everything on there as well. So you could just click right onto our show from there as well. Okay. So this is pretty By the cool. Way, uh, like, we're like flooding everyone. The echo, the echo you're, you're talking, talking about, about only, only happens, happens when you're, when you're on. on. So, you, so click you click the button, the button somewhere. somewhere. Okay, let's see. How about <laughs> now? Uh, no, I don't have it. Is it doing it now? No. Nice. What did, what you, did do? you do? Oh, now, oh, it's, now back. it's back. Well, I, got, I couldn't hear your voice when I just did, did that. Oh, boy. When I clicked that off. This is, this is going, going great. great. <laughs> Kale, I'm, I'm assuming, assuming it's back. back. I'm sorry, I'm sorry guys. Brian, Brian doesn't, doesn't know what the hell, what the hell he, did. he did. So there's an echo coming through the live feed then? Yep. yep. I, noticed I noticed it when, when I was doing, doing my, intro. my intro. I was, I was like, what, like the what the hell? hell? Damn it. Hold on. Let me look at this. Talk for a yeah, minute, why, John. Why are why you, are like, you like pressing things? I don't know. You got to you got to stop doing that. See when I mute your mic, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. happen. So, so maybe you maybe should you just should stay on mute and let, let me talk, talk the, whole, the show. whole show. Go for it. This will be, be the Brian like like you know, you know wink, wink and nod, nod episode. episode. <laughs> Did, you Did you change anything, anything on, your, on board? your board? Well, I took a picture to try to make sure everything was the same. Oh, you oh, were you touching stuff, weren't you? Whether or not I, I mean, here's my my picture. I got everything matched. You got Wait something on there. Yeah, his yeah, his, his headphones are connected, are connected Kale. Sorry, Sorry, guys. guys Brian, Brian decided, decided to fuck, to fuck with his settings, settings for some, some reason, reason that I cannot, cannot fathom. fathom. <laughs> That'll, be That'll be our topic tonight. Why, Why did you change anything? anything? You know we don't know this stuff. All right, now, now it's, it's done. done. Now it's now back. back. <laughs> what about now? Uh, uh, yeah, it's still happening. Still happening. Now it's not. Can you hear me? It's not happening. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, okay. now it's not happening. I think that did it then. Oh, there we go. All right. So, Kale, are we good? Are we good? <laughs> okay. We're gonna I like how Kale's like, I like how Kale's like, are your headphones connected, dude? Yes, I can hear. Otherwise, I couldn't uh -huh. hear anything. <laughs> Chastity Crawley To quote Emperor Kuzo No touchy <laughs> See this is the part that's going to get cut out of the audio version You just learned an important lesson One that I learned years and years ago When it works, leave it the hell alone I took a picture Well apparently not a good enough <laughs> one Because you messed it up <laughs> Well there's three buttons that I couldn't tell if those are supposed to be up or down That's what she said Yeah, those <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Nice Alright so let, let's take a very quick stop here, and then you can say you're excited for this show, and then let's run through your stuff again, and so that way I can cut that out. Okay, ready? Do I say it now that I'm excited for the show? I think you should. So okay. there you go. So, so you're excited for this show. We're I'm really back. excited for the show we have coming up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Also, I would like to plug, we have a, a couple of CMS Network uh, apps, multiple uh, that it can be downloaded from the App Store. Um, there's also CMSTV.net. That is a third uh, way to stream us live, CMSTV.net, Facebook, and YouTube. And uh, also Amazon Fire Stick. Uh, there is, sorry, uh, there's a new app on there that has all of the shows also as well. So there's like 8 million ways to, to find us. So there's no excuses for anyone to never not be watching and listening to every word we say at all points in time. <laughs> Somehow I don't think that's a, that's, that's a selling point, that people have to listen to us all the time. <laughs> no, it's not whatsoever. Well, you know, 
I mean, some people might like it, but I, I doubt that there's very many of them. So, um, you know, I, I'm, but I, you know, I do have to say, you know, there is a lot of content on that CMS app and, you know, at the CMS, you know, the classic metal show, um, the, the YouTube channel and everything, there's tons of great shows. So go check that out. And, um, it, it's continually growing, which is cool. And Chris, uh, our buddy Aiken is always adding new things to it. So, uh, it's it's a, it's a cool place to check out. A lot of variety there. So you got Lord Nelson uh, from Stuck Mojo. He's doing a show, and uh, like you said, Seth Williams is on there. And Aftershocks, uh, Chris Aiken presents is a really good one. All the classic metal show episodes. So definitely go check that out, guys, for sure. Uh, but back to tonight's topic. I was very glad to hear that you were actually excited to do the show, because you are extremely transparent when you are not. <laughs> so earlier this week, I was definitely getting the vibe that you were like, all right, I'm not into this at all. Like, I, I, I'm not I'm not happy about this. Like, uh oh, <laughs> it's like this. This could go poorly. But I'm glad to hear that you came around. Um, what what predicated that? So why did you all of a sudden change your mind? I think just digging into the album. OK, there is. I'm trying to decide if it's between this one or six degrees which one i believe that now after multiple listens um having a much different opinion than i did originally on it so okay it's close in terms of enjoying it more you know sure but is there is there a particular aspect that you didn't really notice or get into previously that all of a sudden you're like wait a minute this album has a huge in the pocket groove feel which is not yes. present on any other dream theater albums save for maybe the next to last album distance over time possibly mm -hmm. somewhat in that vein but still not to this degree yeah i see that that's that's what i've always said about this album in particular is that it's unique in their catalog in that it's you know the grooves are a little more simplistic it's not as proggy as the rest of their stuff but but I mean, Mike Portnoy's drums, when you really dig into this record, it kind of keeps it in that prog stuff. There's a lot of real busy stuff going on over some really simplistic riffing, and I think it makes for a really cool combination. So, but, look, Kale, he says, this is going to be an episode of John defending falling into infinity tooth and nail and absolutely gushing over it, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no, Kale, I'm, I think I'm going to crap on my favorite record a little bit. I'm just going to dump on it, Kale. Like he does on every <laughs> other Dream Theater album we go over. <laughs> so. Yeah, sure. <laughs> we haven't gotten to the one that, that's going to be like uh, me dumping on it a little bit. So that that has yet to come. So You know, something that was interesting about this was I wanted to do a little bit of deep dive on this. So Kevin Shirley is the producer on this. Mm -hmm. I was under the impression this dude had done like tons of things up to that point. Well, I was completely wrong. Um, he had done Rush counterparts, and he did some remixes on some Black Crows things. But the only other thing of notice was this band called Baby Animals, and I don't know if you ever remember this band. It was kind of a one-hit wonder, similar to like a Concrete Blonde. And they no. had this song called Painless that I believe was kind of all over that 90... I can never remember what it was. The, the end. <laughs> 107.9, yeah. the end. The Cleveland okay. Station we always reference here. Uh, but he, yeah, he mixed that album and uh, Kale way before Kale's time. They actually were from Australia, and uh, pretty pretty big band at the time. But so after after Dream Theater, he went on and did Brave New World, Iron Maiden, which was yep. the first uh, re return of Bruce Dickinson, which everyone 
tries to sell me as being as amazing, and it's not. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, he did live scenes from New York. Um, he mixed Six Degrees. Yep. Uh, Maiden Dance of Death. Um, Black Country Communion. So I just kind of wanted to bring up some of the other albums he had done. And uh, I don't know, when when was the last album where they stopped using outside producers at all? Do you know? Um, it uh, They had, like, engineers and stuff, but um, uh, Scenes from a Memory was when they were like, hey, butt out, we're doing it ourselves type of a thing. Okay, yeah, so that's the last time so, there is no producer credited other than Petrucci or the band or somebody. Yeah. Likely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he basically. You mentioned Maiden. He's he's done. I think every record since then. He's basically their house guy now. So he's he's yeah. most famous for the for the Maiden stuff that he's done. And I don't know if that's a good thing that they kept him all these times. <laughs> right. Honestly. So our buddy Sam Mathis tuning in. Good to see. You. He says, "Is the font different for the band name on this album? I just noticed that. Uh, yes, this was the only one uh, that they used that different font for. And I I want to say the guy's name." is Storm Thorgerson, Thorgerson or something, and they had used him on the previous albums, and this one he decided he wanted to do something different, and it really wasn't met with a lot of positivity, this and the cover for Once in a Lifetime, and so they kind of like stopped working with the guy. Um, Sean Faust, good to see you, man. He says, dudes, happy birthday, brother. Can't stay, but wanted to drop in and send the love. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. 47 is going to be a damn good birthday, so, um, you know. Only about 29 years behind Brian, but, you know, who's <laughs> counting? So, yeah, but, yeah, uh, the the Shirley thing was an interesting relationship because I think it, it do, they don't say this in the in the book, but it, it seems like there might have been some, a little bit of butting aheads here and there because I know that, you know, uh, you know, just talking about falling into infinity, there was um, a, a, the solo on Take Away My Pain and... John Petrucci did this thing and Kevin Shirley was saying that it was just beautiful and it was like the most perfect solo and he felt like he was on, you know, a gondola going through Venice and he could, you know, so he, he ordered ordered out for like a couple bottles of wine. It was just beautiful. And Petrucci comes in and listened back a few times and goes, yeah, I don't like it. Erase it. He's like, excuse me? And Petrucci made him erase it. <laughs> so huh. that's not what's on the album and I don't think there's any recorded evidence anywhere of it. So... That was kind of interesting. And then there were, you know, there were stories in the book about mixing six degrees and how they had issues on that one. And um, so, you know, uh, only a few records that they worked with him, but I thought they were really good. I thought it was a good run with him working with them. So kind of wish they had kept going, but they didn't. And uh, before he did get out of there, the start to the run of uh, Kevin Shirley albums is this one that we're talking about tonight, which... Uh, anybody who's tuned into the show for anything more than about four minutes knows this is my favorite record. So, um, I mean, you said, Brian, that, you know, the thing that you kind of noticed in re-listening to this several times, um, you know, the album has a jam feel. That's that's the word I always use when I discuss this record with people is that it's kind of like a, it's more of like a jam E jam-ish type of a record. It definitely has a feel that none of the other Dream Theater albums have. And I, I love it, man. And I, I, I think Derek Sherinian's keyboard playing fits in perfectly. And I, it, it's just, it's such a unique record. And it, it it grabbed me from the first time I heard it. And I was a very new fan to the band. 
So I was used to the first couple of records. And even that being said, I mean, I, I heard this, the difference in song. I was like, wow, this is really cool. And it's, it's you know, it's been just an all-time favorite of mine ever since. Uh, Kale asks, this is also the only album without the majesty symbol anywhere on the cover, isn't it? Uh, I believe so, Kale. I believe so. The, the, the idea was to try and get away from all the... They, they were trying to, like, change things up a little bit. And then after this, they decided, eh, no, nah, let's not do that. We're Dream Theater, so... Um, you know, Sam Mathis, uh, he says, got to get the kids bedtime machine started. Hope you get back on when I hope to get back on when I can looking forward to hearing why hell's kitchen is really the only good song on this album. You're going to, you're going to spew that kind of hate, Sam. You can, you can go to sleep with your kids. <laughs> Just kidding, man. Um, all right. So let's dig into this one. We'll, we'll do our track by track as we usually do. And uh, we are saving our, you usually do the, hey, guess what other albums came out in 1997 type of thing. But we're saving that because we are going to do a, you know, an episode about what we would buy instead of falling into infinity in 1997. So uh, we will forego that, even though I love when you do that. So very cool. So the first track, obviously, is New Millennium. And I will let you start since you are a new fan of this record. So what do you got for New Millennium? (laughs) Dude, can we get some love for this song? It needs to be a set opener immediately. Thank you. My God. You know what I like about this one? It's not too mid-tempo, and it's not insanely fast. It kind of falls in that in-between tempo-wise, which is what mm-hmm. you want for an album opener um, and a show opener. Because like, you don't you don't want something super-duper fast where you're like worn out already. You don't want something that drags. But uh, this thing has what I call, um, when watching certain TV shows, a slow burn. And then it just really starts cooking. You know, it's like there's there's some interesting things with Shireen on here. Like, you kind of see shades of future Sons of Apollo in this. Like, there's a few hints of coming home and goodbye divinity sprinkled in there, you know. Yep. And then you get, like, like those meandering organ synth bells and then the great bass line. And then it's like, you know, basically that's a takeoff on Black Magic Woman on the organ. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then the final three minutes, man. That that's one thing about this album. It's almost like every single song, the last minute and a half to two to, to two and a half minutes, are, are always just end up with an insane jam. And mm-hmm. I don't know that every Dream Theater song does that. We probably think that they do, but they don't necessarily in theory. But on this album, that's kind of that's kind of how it goes. But yeah, man, this this needs to be this needs to be a set opener. I think. Yeah, and I I completely agree. It I mean it just. It begs for it. Like, it gets you queued up for what's to come later in the show. Uh, it's it's a little bit more digestible. So I, th- I think it'd be a really interesting way to open the show because you could do something like, you know, let's say you have a show. Let's say you start with New Millennium and then immediately go into, you know, The Alien. Like, that would be just such a bang and one-two punch to come right out of the gate with. So... Um, yeah, I agree with you. This is this is one of my favorite opening songs. Uh, your, your comment about the jam is is you know the at the you know the last three minutes is spot on. I I love that riff. You know the you know it's just I mean they break down into stuff like that so many times on this record and it's it's so underrated. I mean it it's just it's something that they never did before and it's it's funny that this is the record where. They were, they were, you know, the label was just forcing them. To, hey, write a hit single, write a hit single. We need Pull Me Under Part Two, and this record, a lot of it was like the second batch of songs because they had a whole bunch of stuff written. They submitted it to the label, and the label said, "Nah." 
So they had to go back to the drawing board and write even more. So this is like they're they're really pushing themselves and trying too hard to write a single. And this is the stuff they come up with. And th that's such a fascinating aspect of this record to me. And, you know, but again, you know, this is the the riffing and the instrumentation is pretty simple. But this is a theme that goes on throughout the record. I mentioned this earlier where Portnoy's drums, they're still very progressive. It, 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 a lot of times, more so than any other record, he's doing a lot of stuff, like, which kind of makes sense because he was really fighting the corporate influence. And the other guy's like, yeah, let's, you know, let's try to write shorter songs and hit singles. And Portnoy's like, no, man, we're a prog band. God damn it, we're a prog band. And, um, you know, it's... It, it's such a cool, underrated aspect of this record. You know, when people talk about Portnoy's drumming and stuff, they never bring this record up. And when you really dig into it, listen to it, you're like, wow, he's kind of doing some really interesting things. But, um, yeah, this is, um, you know, it's... Sherinian's keys mix in so well on this one as well. I mean, throughout the album, there's a lot of examples of that. But, I mean, this one especially, it kind of blends with the guitar and the bass. And, um, you know, it, it's just... Everything blends well, and you know this album has definitely, I think, John Mayung's best bass tone on any of the records. Yeah. I mean, this is like a fat, bit, you know, and you know we'll get to that in you know Burning My Soul, but you know it just all the elements are right there, and it's like okay, this is cool, like this is different, but it's still dream theater. So I love it. I, I think I think it's a great way to kick off the record. So I'm with you. Um, a great way to do a second song is to write a song with Desmond Child. Which is what You Not Me is the product of. So uh, this is a very interesting song for me. I, I don't know where you stand on this one because I know I've talked about... That's one word for it. <laughs> well, you know, I have in my notes here that we've talked on the show about songs that, you know, they're just kind of there and you're like, yeah, whatever. Like this one would fall under that category, but I actually really enjoy it. Whereas those other ones, I'm like, yeah, I like it, but it's like take it or leave it. I really like You Not Me. So, I mean, it's definitely, I would say, the least, you know, the least prominent track on the record. But I love the chorus of it. And I, I've i always wanted to hear what John Petrucci and Desmond Child came up with for the chorus because, you know, the story is that it was just too high for James to sing. So they had to, you know, kind of rework it once they got back you know, from, you know, got it back from Desmond when Petrucci came back from his trip to go write with him. Uh, so I would be, I would love to hear what the guy that wrote Slippery When Wet wrote for Dream Theater. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I um, was made for loving you, Kiss. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so what are your thoughts on uh, You Not Me? I, I am the exact opposite. I, I think the course is absolutely horrible. I think really? it's okay. so forced and contrived. You know, lyrically and musically, it's just, it's so obvious that this is, you know, hey, try to write a hit or whatever. There's just no riff to it. Like, the, the only thing I think that saves this is some of those groove borderline funk drum things that are going on with, with Portnoy and some of the bass stuff. And, and I like Derek's, like, Middle Eastern string type parts going on. But, yeah, man, the lyrics just, I don't know, it just it just sounds like something that you, somebody wrote in their car while they were on on you know, break from working at Speedway or something. I, I don't know. It, it, there's no, there's no motion behind it. There's, it's super forced. And, uh, I don't, I don't know how James voice fits on the course. Maybe that has something to do with what you're saying is they had something originally different in mind and this is what they settled on. And it just, I don't know. It just doesn't sound like, 
like uh, something that feels very natural and it just, I don't know, there's something extremely like incomplete and I don't know, almost borderline juvenile about it. Like I, I have no <laughs> idea. I have no idea how this fits on the album. Like it's a, this album is a very eclectic mix of songs and this, this is just total throwaway in my opinion. Yeah. I, like I said, I like it. I, I would be interested to hear if it was just the vocal melody and the chorus that they changed or if there was a lot more to it that they changed. Because this does not sound like a Desmond Child song. He writes these big things. And I really like this song, but it's not that big thing. So uh, a couple comments in the chat. Our buddy Chris Aiken says, Am I wrong in thinking the majesty symbol isn't really small? at the bottom center of the cover. No, this this album does not have it. Um, Kale says, no, Death to You, Not Me was better before Child got involved when it was you or me. Was a great DT banger, then they tried too hard. I'm going to disagree with you. I prefer the the album version, Kale. I, a, lot, a, lot of the, a lot of the demo stuff for Falling Into Infinity, uh, I can see why it wasn't used. Um, Raise the Knife is kind of a head-scratcher because that song just kicks ass, but um, I, I, I prefer You Not Me to You or Me. So, All right, let's move on to track three, which is Peruvian Skies. How, do you enjoy Peruvian Skies? Do you not enjoy it? I don't mind it. This is one of their obvious odes to Pink Floyd. You know, this is their shine on Crazy Diamond, Wish You Were Here, Dark Side of the Moon, the song, not the album. Um the heavy build-up part's cool. Yeah. It kind of wakes you up from that Pink Floyd, I think what I called is an acid nap, almost like. Nice. Um, you know, it's like, I like that one part, the super heavy, that terror by night, liar by day, where James yeah. is singing really high. It's very cool. There's very cool Petrucci melodic parts. And, uh, yeah, it's a good song. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, like, really cool, like, I, I have it described as, slithery like especially in the bass lines uh slithery like bass lines in the verse like boom, boom like a lot of sliding and the, and you know the rest of the instruments kind of do that and there's you know hey don't be dying over there buddy i can see you <laughs> um but yeah it's I, it's kind of a watery vibe in the verses and you know it's got the 70s organ going you know sherinian's got that sound going um I mean, the solo section is just a kick-ass build, you know, to to that outro, which is, you know, just pretty much straight-up metal. So it's it just, this song just is a really cool build. And it's, again, it's kind of unique in the Dream Theater catalog due to the fact that it is kind of a straight progression, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, you know, build whatever. It's it's a little more straightforward, which is not something that they do a lot of. So I, I really like it for that that aspect of it. And then, you know, obviously the the end riff is, is fun on the live record because they, they throw in that little bit of Enter Sandman and so that was cool. Um and I think all any Dream Theater fan would tell you that, you know, no matter how much you like or dislike this record, especially if you dislike it, you can't dislike the end of Peruvian Skies. So, you know, that's just amazing. All right, let's bring Brian back here. Let's hope he's uh, alive here. Are you oh Are you all God. right? I don't know. I'm kind of worried here. <laughs> so <laughs> you touched on Metallica there. Yeah, it, it, there's like the very end of the song I had in my notes here. It's like a Metallica riff 
that was on the cutting room floor of Justice for All. And uh, I put in my notes, Surin Ian sneaks in some killer power synth parts behind it. Right. So I, I love the way the song, the, like the last minute or two minutes of it, I love it the way it ends. Yeah, it's 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 a great song, man. And it's again, it's it's that straightforward songwriting, but still with that dream theater edge, which I think is is really really cool. All right, let's move on to track four, and I think all of us can agree, this is definitely one of the best dream theater ballads that they ever did. Uh, obviously, we are talking about track four, that is "Hollow Years." This song, to me, melodically and musically, like every choice they made was absolute money in the bank. All of the, you know, the the bass lines and the key parts and the, you know, the guitar overdubs and all the vocal melodies. It's just, it's ear candy. This song is just pure ear candy, and it's absolutely perfect to me. I I love it. I could listen to this all day long. And then, you know, another thing to throw in about it is obviously something that, you know, the chat has mentioned a lot of. The live version is even better, especially when you get uh, the, the version from Live at Budokan. That's just, you know, it's unbelievable. That is such a great version of this song. And I, I love it. This is absolutely, again, like I say, it's just a beautiful song, beautifully written, short and to the point, you get a ton of, you know, feeling out of it and, it's just you know quintessential dream theater ballad, if not the quintessential dream theater ballad. What are your thoughts on Hollow Years? So I did something I never do. I actually researched one of our old episodes. This was number seven on my ballads list, which I was okay. kind of surprised. I thought it might be higher. Uh, so the good news is I researched it. The bad news is I just went and copied my note from that, so that way I didn't have to come up with something new. <laughs> so... <laughs> Nice. Plus, I didn't remember what I said about it anyway. So, yeah, I put uh, originally on my notes, it's one of those James just fell out of bed and sounds like he doesn't have to try type yep. of songs, Supernatural. One of the biggest hooks they have, as far as I'm concerned, vocally in the entire catalog, let alone the ballads and uh, bonus points because it modulates at the end, too. Yes, the key change so, is cool. Yep. yep. See, I, I wish I knew all these terms. I just sound like an idiot. It's a key change. You're like, no, it's modulate, dude. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, our buddy Robert Reams, he says, agree. This really is great. James does it so well. I think I first heard this on the Budokan DVD. So so you so you had heard the live version before the album version. Interesting. Okay. Thankfully, they're both good. The the live version just totally adds an, another level to it. Um, yeah. Kale's talking about it. Yeah. He says, hollow years. I'm really glad they didn't keep this same uh, this the same as the demo with the extended pre-chorus. I agree with that. Uh, however, that Budokan solo has destroyed the album version for me. How can anything compare? <laughs> yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Kay. Like I, I tend to not, I, I'm not that guy where it's like, okay, the live version's so good I can't listen to the studio version because I just think live versions always add something cool. Um, but I, I could see where you're coming from because that, I mean, that's, I mean, if Dream Theater fans are listing out like favorite, you know, John Petrucci moments, so many of us would have that in there, so. Um, yeah, th this is just a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, song. I, I was, I was loved. Uh, who was it in the book? They were talking about the music video for this, and they said it looked like a, like a, like a commercial for a prescription medication. <laughs> they said there's like nothing to the video, and I mean they're not wrong. It's just them kind of like going around in a taxi cab or something. So, doesn't really do the song justice, I don't think. So, all right, moving on to track five. 
we have Burning My Soul. And as I mentioned before, uh, if you didn't already know on this record that John Myung is, you know, just killing it on the record in terms of tonality, you definitely know with the intro to Burning My Soul because that is that is absolutely fat fucking bass all the way through. So, I mean, that, oh, God, it's just, this song, I'm surprised this isn't a bigger song and it doesn't get played more live. I wonder if it's maybe because it's a little aggressive for James. Um, you know, he it, it's it's an angry lyric, and he definitely sounds pissed on this one. So he's definitely getting into it, and um, you know, this is this is another example of what I mentioned earlier with, earlier with Portnoy keeping the drums busy under over some simple riffing. You know, there's there's a lot of double bass kind of patterns in there to keep it, you know, moving, and you know, it it really makes the straightforward parts stand out. You know, for example. You know the drums underneath the beginning of the keyboard solo. You could just you know, you know, like you can you could just picture Portnoy standing up to play that, like not even the and just like you know waving at the crowd and doing you know, it's just there's so much just groove to this song, and it it sounds pissed off, and the groove sounds pissed off, and the lyrics sound pissed off, and. It's just such a statement song, I think. And there's a couple of those lyrically on this record that, you know, is Portnoy just basically being like, fuck the record industry, man. Like, we're getting totally stomped on. So um, I would have to assume that even when you were not as big a fan of this record before diving into this, that you were a Burning My Soul fan. This seems like the kind of song you'd be into. Yeah, this is the first kind of serious, like, mid-tempo metal grinder from the beginning, right? We know right off the bat this is a heavier one. Yep. And... uh like you said, like I, I ended up taking notes of who wrote the lyrics on every song, and I'd be curious if we broke down every lyric credit, how many of Portnoy's are kind of the angrier, heavier, you know, one. I think probably, I'm guessing the percentage of his that are that way are probably in the 80s. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, one thing I'm still trying to tell in the beginning, if those broken arpeggio chord things, if the guitar and keyboards are both playing those or just guitar, because the guitar's doing another thing two other things actually too like a rhythm thing and and a higher lead part so i'm, I'm a little bit curious on that but I, I love those like evil harmonic squelches um on the guitar yeah. before the second verse starts too yep and then um you know you talked about shirani and he's got some cool squawky keyboard sounds in shirani and solo over that super heavy riff that's laid down by petrucci and that 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 kind of stuff is i think a lot more difficult than people realize when you get a big fat chunky heavy riff like that to to come up with like a decent keyboard solo over that over that it's not especially when it's really kind of almost moshy in that way it's not that easy to do honestly but he, he pulls it off great so yeah this, this is a song i'm i i would think that would go over like just ginormous live you know because it's just you know it's got that metal feel to it and it's five and yep. a half minutes it's not too too long yeah no, I, I completely agree with you with the Sherinian thing. I mean, that riff that he's playing over, is, there's melody there, but not a ton. So it's not like he's got this big bed, you know, of broken chords and lush instrumentation to solo over. So, yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Um, Yeah, I, I don't know why this doesn't get played live more often. It's, I mean, the only... They don't really play a lot of this live at all. I mean, you'll hear New Millennium here and there and Trial of Tears. And other than that, like, 
you know, like Kale mentioned it earlier, the, you know, Peruvian skies gets pulled out here and there on like the second night of a, of of a two nighter or something, but not a lot of this stuff gets pulled out. And I would really think that this one would be a really bang in tune to put between some of the prog stuff, but they they don't for whatever reason. Um, Last thought on this one for me is I, I will say like, I really think that Sherinian's keyboard playing meshes very well with Portnoy's drumming because I think, you know, I, I think you can say this about, you know, Mangini and Rudis compared to Portnoy and Sherinian. Like, Portnoy and Sherinian have a little bit of that rock feel to them, whereas Mangini and Jordan Rudis are much more precision-based. Like, the, the guys, both pair, pair guys could play the same parts, right? But it would just sound more like a rock song in a way with Portnoy and um, Sherinian doing it than it would with Rudis and Mangini. Does, does that make sense? Yes. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I'm muted. I was, I was doing something. I was curious because you were talking about whether or not they play anything from this. So I, I was under the impression that the second level gave this new tour they're doing, they were going to do a whole bunch, do it. Don't whole you bunch do of it. different songs. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. I'm not buying that there's a whole bunch of different songs. I'll just put it that way. All right, so, good. You, you know, do not ruin the set list for me in case they do well, another U.S. leg that we well, see. Oh, God. Uh, but, yeah, this is really not that different. And there's nothing from this on there, obviously. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I I don't know. I think it's like, was it Kale or someone was said in the chat, like they're just, there's a, I guess maybe among James or somebody, there's a just kind of a disdain for this album, maybe in general. And Derek's not in the band anymore, and yeah, and I, I don't know, maybe, maybe they feel that he was too influential in this, and since he's not a part of it anymore, why bother? I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> right. honestly don't know. You know, I really don't. Other than the fact that, like we said, it really is a unique. Other than the astonishing this album kind of sticks out as just being kind of all over the place in a, in a good way. But, uh, yeah, you see, do they think burning my soul that, that for, I mean, of any song on this album, you know, let's just, let's just bust out a banger that probably doesn't take us that long to remember how to play, you know, it's, yeah. you know, it's a great, great song, but you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's, this isn't like we got to sit down and, and go through six degrees again and, and nail that head to toe, you know, for sure. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't get it, dude. I, I I don't get it, but you know, we'll see in future tours. Maybe maybe they'll listen to our show and be like, "Yeah, we should throw in some more falling into infinity," because I'm sure that'll happen. <laughs> right. But um, all right. So moving on to what might be uh, the quintessential song on this record, we have "Lines in the Sand." What uh, What are your thoughts on "Lines in the Sand"? I learned something on this, and it's okay. sort of ironic in a way. Wait, are we on Hell's Kitchen or Lines in the Sand? Oh, I oh I skipped. Excuse me. Yes, <laughs> you threw me off. Thank there. you. Thank you. I put my I put my my first page of notes on the ground. And I had one note for Hell's Kitchen, which is I don't need notes. <laughs> it's uh, neat. Yeah, Hell's Kitchen's good. Okay, Lines in the Sand. No. Um. Uh, all right. So Hell. So Hell's Kitchen. Go. Yeah. Something I did idiot. not realize. Uh, there is a huge King's X feel to this one. Like, okay. it, it feels like any of the outros on like eight different songs on Grutch and Ghost in Nebraska. At least from the first two to three minutes, and then we go into this big time into rush territory. Guitars and the keyboards have a huge, like massive moving pictures, eighties ish rush feel to it, which 
basically just means it's completely awesome. <laughs> and uh, I, I think at four minutes, 16 seconds, it's the perfect length. It's not too long. Like, if this had gone on for seven, eight minutes, I don't know that it works as well. Uh, I, I think on some of these instrumentals like this, when you keep them, you know, five, five minutes and under, I think that really makes the song stand out more. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, this is this is my favorite instrumental that they've done. Uh, it's actually, uh, I think I've said this before on the show, but it's my alarm for waking up in the morning. <laughs> so, uh, man, it's the whole thing is just a build. And like you said, it's like it's like the perfect length. And one of my favorite things about this song is actually the like in the making of disc for this, which is like 45 minutes to an hour. It's pretty short, but they, they have like the audio of them actually putting this together and writing the, you know, the, the scales as they walk up and stuff like that. And hearing them put it together is just incredible. And it is, it's just like one giant build and it just goes, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And melodically, it's just incredible. It's so catchy. It, um, Reminds me of the instrumental on the Van Halen Balance record, like Beluca Ethereum, it's called. And in that you can, it's like you could sing it. it. A lot of these good instrumentals, like there's a lot of great parts and you like it, but you don't like sing it or hum it like you would an actual song with, you know, a vocal to it. But this song actually does that. So, man, like. <laughs> Chris Aiken jumping in with his love of Dream Theater. He said, "A rare disciplined songwriting moment." <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Oh, our good buddy JG 3s tuning in, man. Good to see you, Jay. He says, uh, "Hey guys, hey Kale. Hope everyone's doing well." Also, Hell's Kitchen is awesome. Great decision to remove it from burning my soul. Also, the mix with the drums and the bass is awesome. Uh, yeah. I'm really glad that they decided not to keep that as part of Burning My Soul as well. Um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Hell's Kitchen used to be the middle section of Burning My Soul, and they, they pulled it out um, just because they they were trying to write shorter songs, so they didn't want all these huge, massive Dream Theater epics on there, like 12, 13-minute songs. So, um, yeah, this is this is just amazing to me. So it, it has always been my favorite instrumental. I know I caught crap for that on our you know, on previous episodes, but it's just, this, this, this has always stuck with me. You know, and you have that, you know, when you have your favorite bands, like something, as much as you like all of it, there's always those, you know, certain little things that always are at the top of your list and never, ever change, no matter how much stuff they put out. And Hell's Kitchen uh, fits that bill for me. So, all right, well, let's move. Now let's go to Lines in the Sand. (laughs) 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 After I jumped the gun a few minutes ago. So uh, lines in the sand. What do you got? Yeah, you know, it, there's those, those awesome sweeping keyboard things to start. You know, the gigantic drums. You know, and then you got a huge groove. Uh, you know, all those awesome little orchestra hits. You know, we end up at the end. We end up into like I don't know, almost a bluesy fusion. You know, jazz type thing. You know, to, that rides out. That really sort of just doesn't form until the end there. So this is another one of those kind of just a just bit of a journey. Uh, there's a feeling of uh, harking back to the the, the um, counterparts album he did with Rush. There's a feeling, there's a bit of a feel of this. The song on there called "Animate," and I'm I'm feeling a sort of some bits and pieces of the way it's 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 mixed mixed and the way the song goes and uh, and yeah, you know, it's something interesting about this album too. And I don't know if it's I need to try this with a couple different ones, but so I went I took my dog for a walk today, and I'm I was listening to the album in the car, you know, on Spotify through my 
through my car stereo. And then I'm listening in these earbuds, and I'm like, man, this is just... I mean, I guess it's like this for all all albums, but it's just two two totally different sounding albums. I mean, the drums just do not sound the way they do in those little earbuds stuck stuck in your head than they do through a you know a car stereo, even if it's a crappy one. You know what I mean? Like right. those drums just felt so much different. Like I could feel all these different tones and 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 things, especially like the bass drum and stuff. So I, I always wonder, like, how different. Depending on what you know, medium you're using to listen to this stuff, how different does it come across to people's ears? You know what I mean? Because there's there's so many different ways to do it now, and they compress the crap out of this. So I'm dying to know, like the actual vinyl. You know, I'm not a vinyl file yet. You know, yeah, you know, audio file yet into all that vinyl stuff. But I'm I'm dying to know, like, okay, if I put this by this by this, these three side by side, you know, is this vinyl just gonna blow me away? I'm assuming yeah. it will, but. Yeah, no, I did. I completely agree. It's, but it's it's kind of funny because you mentioned like, oh yeah, it sounds better in the car than on headphones. Like, and for me, it was the opposite because, you know, I've got the I've got some pretty good like they're not ex- expensive or anything. They're like fifty, sixty bucks. But I've got these like Sony like extra bass earbuds. Okay. And man, I heard a bunch of stuff. Like, I I can hear it better. But then again, my hearing's kind of shot anyway from playing in the band for so long. So having it jammed right into my ear is probably beneficial for my listening experience. But um, yeah, uh, the vinyl thing I'd be interested to hear too because everyone says that that's like the way to listen to stuff. But I wonder, you know, because we're so used to high def audio and you know, digital this and CD that and all this crystal clear stuff. Like, is vinyl going to still sound like that? You know, because previously you basically had, you know, compact disc kind of took some of the life out of it and cassettes, you know, aged. And yeah. so, of course, you had, you know, vinyls where it's at. But I don't know if that's the case anymore. Well, another thing is I think you have to have vinyl and then you have to have a killer receiver and then you have to have a killer pair of headphones, you know what I mean? You can't just go, oh, yeah. well, I got a decent record player, but I don't have, you know, what's it going to come through? And, and uh, oh, CMS Network is not so big of DT fan. What album sounds the best in buds or headphones? Yeah, I would say, I, and I would say this one sounds great uh, in the buds, and I would say that uh, six, this one and Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence have my favorite production value. Um, there's there's a lot of low end going on. Uh, it's it's pretty crisp. There's a good def. There's a there's a lot of de- especially on Six Degrees. There's a lot of definition between the parts. I think on this one you can hear a, a lot of things like we talked about earlier. Sherinian's keyboards mix very well with like the heavier guitars. So I I think you know for that reason I I think it's it's really good and and the bass tone on this one is absolutely kick ass. So Aiken I I would I would say this one and uh, uh, six degrees for sure. I'd probably say you know even though it's not everyone's cup of tea the astonishing because that if you want to immerse yourself into the story and everything and sort of surround yourself you're going to get all of the panned. Yes, you know, all of the all of the action that goes on in addition to the music, the stuff that's being kind of acted out in the background, like yeah, you know that's no, like I, a f- full you know immersive experience type thing. That's a really good point. It's something we'll get into when we do our deep dive into that record. But yeah, I I didn't even think about that one because that one is always an outlier for me. It's like they have fourteen records in the astonishing because to me that's like you sit down, you listen to the whole thing, you read the lyrics with it, and you just it's it's like watching a movie. It's not just sitting there like hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna jam some tunes. Like that's like watching a movie. So I never I never think about that one. 
Good call on that, dude. That's a that's a very good call. I'll just throw on Lord Nefarious and then I'll go to something. Then I'll go to something else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <Okay. right. laughs> How weird would that be in your DT mix that just shows up? Like I know. So yeah, so lines in the sand for me, dude. This is th- this might be kind of like I-, I think the best definition of this record I think is found in Lines in the Sand because there's so many different things that they don't do, but it it's still rooted in the classic Dream Theater sound. Um, I love the busy drums in the verses. Again, Portnoy's doing stuff to keep it, you know, grounded in Prague. Um, this is one you can definitely just kind of like bob your head to and kind of jam to. I like that. Obviously, I'm surprised you didn't mention this, but uh, Doug Pinnock singing on the choruses with James. I forgot that, yeah. So that's really cool. Uh, I, I really like the the solo section in the middle, the, uh, in the middle that mellow solo part, and then it's just. You know, James does, I think, a great, just a great high vocal. He goes from his, like, ballad voice to his really high voice. Yep. And then, you know, Portnoy's doing that really busy hi-hat thing that I've always loved. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. And then, um, yeah, this, this this to me is, like, probably, like, the definition of the record. So uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of this one. Another song that I know that you and I are both big fans of is the next song which is track eight take away my pain and this one is the song that john petrucci wrote when his father passed away for those of you guys who don't know that um i love this song and i i think one of the things i'm not lyric guy so it's very rare that i would get into a song because of the lyric but this is one of those songs because it runs right up to that line where it could tumble over into being cheesy but it doesn't do that. It's I think it's really intelligently written, and it's you get the emo, you get like how personal it is. It's a very personal lyric, and it's not just a "oh my dad died, I'm sad" type of thing. Like, no, it's really interesting. You know, look at poor Gene Kelly and all that kind of stuff. Like headlines on the paper and all these interesting lines, and then you know it's cool because you know it's kind of like his dad in the hospital in a way for the first two thirds of the song and then you know the third verse it goes into it's it's you know first person it's not just kind of like outsider looking and it's like you know him telling the story and i i just love that so the lyrics totally make it for this on this one for me but i love the chorus it's an understated chorus but a really really solid one and that middle section is one of my favorite petrucci solos because it has a lot of desperation in it it's almost like he knows what's coming, you know, with his father. And he's like, he's just trying to like, keep it from happening as, you know, just hold on a little longer. It's like, like I said, it always has this sound of desperation to it. And, you know, that, that bridge and solo section to me has always been great because it's so different from the rest of the song. So I just, th- this is this is just such a well-written song to me and it's so personal. I love the emotion behind it. Yeah, it was. It ended up. I was surprised. I thought I had this number one, but it was number two on my ballad list. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had noted before when you listen to it, there there's a bit of a Peter Gabriel in your eyes type of a thing with those little polyrhythms going on with the drums and stuff in the background. Sort of a funky bass slap thing that comes in here and there. But uh, you know what? What sells it for me on this is is the chorus, man, and the guitar. You know, it just it rings out those kind of suspended chords while it's you know the bass is climbing up and 
I, I just get chills when that stuff is done well. It, it's, it's the oldest trick in music, really. But you get a killer thing like that, and you get a great melody behind it, and you get, you know, this, this, a powerful vocal like this. And, uh, yeah, and I, I love the part about Gene Kelly. I don't think you'll see him singing in the rain. That's a cool, cool nod to... I like when songs have little sort of tidbits like the nostalgia type things like that in it. Yeah. It kind it kind of sets the like the time frame. Um you know, I mean, again, the lyric is so intelligently written. Like I said Gene Kelly, it's like you know you're back in like the 50s or whatever. It's like, you know, and then, you know, I guess I won't be coming home again. Okay, so he's older and, you know, so, you know, a disease is taking hold and everything. And then you know, and then the third verse is him, like, you know, basically seeing his dad in the reflection in the water when he's sitting there, like, kind of thinking about him. And I mean, the whole thing is just, it's like a, like a little story. And I, not a lot of songs ever really do that for me. Like, you get the point behind it stuff. Like, you know, a perfect example is, you know, like, um, oh God, I'm drawing a complete blank. What is, what is Mike Portnoy's dad's song on Black Clouds? Um, Best um, of Times. Yeah. Thank you. Um, like that's a good song and the lyrics are cool because they're super personal. But a couple of those like they do tumble into like be a little bit cheesy, um, but this one doesn't. So I man, I just I just love how they pulled it off and it's such an emotional experience to you know listen to this. Especially you know I mean if you've lived through something like that, I'm sure it's you know pretty it hits pretty hard. So now wasn't pull me under also about someone having cancer or whatever. I I've never heard that really. No, I, I that's not me trying to be funny because no. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not I'm not funny most of the time. No, I I thought that they said that that wasn't. I thought it was related to someone they knew that had cancer. And I don't know if like he wrote multiple songs about his dad or what. I'm just I don't know. I gotta wow. look this up now. Yeah, I I did. I've never heard that. So um, the one thing I have heard though uh, is the, is the next song on the record, uh, which is just let me breathe, which to me is uh oh real quick before we get onto this uh jg3 uh answering your question brian he says another day is the song you are thinking of so there you go another day was that one i don't know about that i thought i heard this i'm not saying i disagree but (laughs) well you kind of just did (laughs) i'm not saying i don't remember what i think i remember I don't really remember, but I'm still gonna I'm still gonna disagree. Right. Uh, Jay, Jay says another day is about Petrucci's dad being diagnosed with cancer. Take away my pain is about him passing away. Okay. Okay. I was close. I was one song go. off. <laughs> yeah, I was saying <laughs> it was track two, not track one. At least I didn't say it was like Raven's Kill or something. <laughs> oh, it was the mirror. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um. All right, so anyway, uh yeah, just let me breathe. This is this is one of my favorites on the record. Just specifically again, it's a lyric thing. Uh, th- this is Bitter Portnoy at his finest. You know, completely calling out two guys that basically killed themselves. You know, I mean, Shannon Hoon was a drug overdose, but that's basically kill- killing yourself. Um But yeah, right in the lyrics, you know, Shannon Hoon and Kurt Cobain, make yourself a household. They're like, "Ooh, man." You know, until you kill yourself and sales go through the roof. It's like, man, like there was some bitterness going on in this one. Like, and it's such a theme throughout the record. It's, it's funny. Like he, God, he was so pissed off at this point. It, you know, just doesn't hide it. Doesn't hide it at all. And uh, so, the, you know, but 
the the one aspect that I really love is you know this this has that jam feel we talked about like the rest of the record, but it's mixed with the seven string, so it's really heavy. So that's that is bad as hell. Like especially you know that heavy part after the second chorus is just awesome. Uh, the solo section just totally rips, and um, that um, the guitar part that goes from ear to ear like that's. That pan, that hard pan from left to right is just such a cool, such a cool effect. So, yeah, I, I, I really like this one. I, I was really glad that, you know, um, I think it was this one that they busted, busted out with the at the Sons of Apollo shows. Um, I was really glad that they, that they busted this out because it was it was a really cool thing to see. So dare we say the word and it rhymes with sponge. This definitely has some grunge. Pearl Jam is hints to it at the beginning there. You got the wah pedal, right? It could. Uh, I definitely feel like, you know, yeah. Is there anything better than we get angry James, you know, <laughs> by way of angry Portnoy? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the breeze got to preach on this stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I I like when he gets angry like this on this kind of thing. And once again, like you said, it's another Portnoy lyric. So, shocker there. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, some of the jam you're talking about. The really cool Hammond rock organ stuff going on. And I actually did note that Petrucci thing. That's when he goes in almost that flight of the bumblebee type thing where you're like, yes, God, man. how does he, how do they, can the human fingers even play this fast, you know? Yeah. And the way they pan it back and forth and it bounces all over the place. But, uh, yeah, you know, good, uh, good, angry, you know, bit of grunge in there for sure from, from you know, from, from what I can tell, at least the begin, at least the first half of it, you know? Yep. Oh, yeah. Kale brings up something. I, I was going to mention this. Thank you for reminding me. Kale, he says, I do like them changing Shannon Hoon to Chris Cornell with Sons of Apollo. <laughs> so it says Chris Cornell and Kurt Cobain. <laughs> That's who, man. That, that to me, that just takes some serious balls. That's like if you're if you're just directly like poking at someone who, who you know committed suicide. That's pretty ballsy. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. I mean, if you're you know, but it's just yeah. Why is he mad at them for committing suicide? <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> kind of dumb, <laughs> right? And, and me to, to your point about the grunge aspects of the song, like I could see that. And you know, I'd, knowing them, it, it might be a little purposeful based on the fact that they are kind of, you know, like I said, the lyrics reference, you know, Kurt Cobain and stuff like that. And this was, you know, they were they were a, a, a victim of you know the grunge stuff really kind of kicking in. Um, you know, I mean, they were they were on Electra, and. You know the the label just went f rock music, and so they were kind of a casualty of that. But um, yeah, I just, this is just a great tune, man. Like a perfect example of of the jam feel that we talk about all that we've talked about all show. And um, you know, again, throwing the seven string into that was so cool. It's the one thing I wish they would have done more on the record is a little bit more seven string because when you've got that kind of feel, you know, like like you know riffs like that and stuff, it'd be cool to have some heavier parts in there. But, you know, at least we got it a little bit. So this next one is one of my favorites. And uh, <laughs> Chris Hagee says, did they replace Hoon because no one remembers that fairly untalented hack? <laughs> we are on the same page, my friend. Thank you. Uh, man, yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, no one has the, the Blind Melon Greatest Hits record. <clears throat> Hey, we all we all remember visually impaired cantaloupes. Just <laughs> well played. Um, 
Oh, your humor always gets me. Um, okay, so this next one I'll let you talk about first. I, I don't remember where you stand on, you know, how much you like this song. I love it personally, but I wanted you to talk about it because this is a straight, like, piano. It's not even like a, a ballad or a rock. It's like kind of like a mid-tempo, like right in the middle kind of plaintive. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's Anna Lee, obviously, so... Talk a little bit about Anna Lee, especially from the perspective of you know you being a keyboard player and a damn good one. Well, I consider it a ballad, and uh, thank you for the compliment. You've been drinking tonight. <laughs> Shut uh, up. Hold, hold <clears> on, JG <throat> three. Anna Lee, I hardly knew her. Right. <laughs> nice, I, anyway. I'm super annoyed at myself because I don't know what I was smoking and thinking. This did not even make my top ten ballads, and this probably should be in the top three. Uh, you know, it's one reason I'm glad this song is on here is every DT keyboard player deserves their piano power folk ballad type of tune. Yep. So Sherinian gets one on here. Yeah, I mean, this this is that classic uh, James Debris, the super restrained, breathy, but it's like mesmerizing is the, the way his voice just dances over these these piano parts and chords. And uh, there's a little bit of Floyd to this one. You know, it's, it's a... Yes. It's kind of a mature Sergeant Pepper... But maybe a little more immature Queen, you know. I I think we maybe yeah. owe a little more to Freddie Mercury, especially the way it goes in some of the higher parts. Um, there's definitely some Queen elements to this, um, the way that the song ultimately ends up. But yeah, man, just a beautiful piano melody, and and you know, it's six minutes. I think it clocks in a decent time. It's not too short, <clears throat> but it doesn't go on forever. But it, it this one builds, and uh, if there's one thing we like in Dream Theater songs, it's Something that starts out one thing and then kind of ends up in a decent crescendo. This stays in the same type of feel, but it does have a very, you know, decent way. It sort of crescendos at the end there. And, uh, I mean, I, I love the piano on this. Like, it's just, just it's just written perfect, and it just suits James' voice to a T. Yep, I completely agree. Uh, JG3 says, uh, there's a really good version of this on the Dream Theater Unplugged Rotterdam performance. <coughs> totally agree with that. If I remember right, that's actually on uh, Five Years in a Lifetime, the video, if I remember right. Because there was, there was a few things from that Rotterdam show on there. Yeah, this this one for me, I just, it, it, melodically, it's it's phenomenal. And one of the things that I like about it is that the production is very dry. So there's not a lot of effects on it, which which kind of makes it more immediate, a little more intimate. And they they pick and choose sparsely where they double James's voice, and it sounds really cool when they do it because it's like, ooh, this part must be more important. I I just I really like what they do on this song production wise, and it's it's so it's so unique. I mean, they we we talked about this on a previous episode, but you know I'll mention it again. They don't have another song like this in their entire catalog, so I just I think this is just such an interesting song and. It's an easy song to listen to, an easy song to digest, and it, I, I just, and I think it's really well placed too, you know, because you, it's, you know, second to last song. It's, you know, you get that little bit of that that easily digestible kind of not a ballad, not a rocker kind of, you're kind of into it, and you know, leading into the final song, which is like the ultimate coup de gras, you know, ultimate album closer, like you know, Dream Theater, just brilliance, but yeah like you said this like the keys in this are phenomenal and it's something that they never did again and it, it's one of the reasons why i wish that sherinian had been in the band longer because this was kind of the the thing that he brought to them was you know he could do all the noodly stuff and all that really cool stuff and the ambient 
you know, orchestral things. But again, he had that rock feel. And he also brought stuff like this, which is just, hey, here's this. Check out this very direct, like simple, like, you know, like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like, it's like, I hate to use this term, but regular song. It's not a dream theater song. It's like a, something you'd hear on the radio, like, do, 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 do. Just a straightforward arrangement. It's just with a great melody and it's it's a great song. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned, I don't know how I didn't have this in my top ballads. This, this should be a top three. I have to admit that I, when we did that episode, I was really surprised that you didn't have it. Because this is always this has always struck me as a song that I thought you would love. First of all, just like the presenta- the presentation of it, but also you as a piano player, I thought you would love this <laughs> because, like you said, it's like the the Derek Sherinian's going to show off a little bit song, and I was really surprised when you didn't bring this one up before. I, I probably overlooked it, and and I think maybe it ended up being something different than what I thought it was initially. You know, so. Okay. Plus, I was pretty. I think what I ended up with in there, I was pretty hardcore on, on how am I going to kick this out? But yeah, they're they're definitely now. This this should have got in there. Yeah, it's, it's it's a great song, man. It's this is one I would love to see live, I and mean, we never ever will. But God, that'd be fun to see. All right, well, let's get to it. We close the record. My favorite record with my favorite dream theater song that being of course trial of tears and one of my favorite memories of this song i will just say it's one of my favorite memories uh dream theater memories period it's it's a minor thing but when we went to see the tour for the self-titled record in chicago and you know i I don't look up set lists i like to be spoiler free and i'd walked in and i was telling my wife i said you know there's this one song I really want to hear. I'd never heard it live, and it's that's like my bucket list dream theater song. If you could say you can only ever hear one dream theater song live, and it's the last dream theater you'll ever hear live, it would be what? And I told us the song "Trial of Tears." So when they went into it in Chicago, I was like, "Oh yes!" So I I always think of that Chicago show when they went into that song with this song. So uh, "Trial of Tears" is for me. All the descriptive words that we use for um, breaking all illusions, I, I, they apply here for me, but a little stronger. So th- this is just th- the vibe and the atmosphere throughout this song just never lets up. And it's like 12 minutes or something like that. It's, a long, it's obviously the longest song on the record. But just the it has this aura to it and this atmosphere and the parts change up here and there and stuff like that but i mean there's not a ton to this song but it still keeps you interested it keeps the ear interested which is this is one of their most brilliant songwriting clinics because of that reason it's not like you know something like you know a similarly a song of similar length um i'm drawing a blank what is it uh, oh, the great debate i'm sorry you know, that one, it keeps your ear because it's going in 8 million different directions. And it's busy and it's like, pow, 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 like ping pong balls flying everywhere. This one is pretty straightforward. And it 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 relies on vibe and it relies on emotion. And it just it just flows so well for me. I, I could listen to the song over and over and over again. It's It's just beautiful to me. It's my favorite song that they've ever done. <clears throat> 
And uh, so there you go, Kale. Yes, that's me gushing since you wanted to know. Uh, <laughs> you want to know if it's going to be just going to be me gushing all night. So, um, all right. So what are your thoughts on, on Trial of Tears? I know we've talked about it, but I don't think we've ever gotten really in depth into Trial of Tears before. I will say I'm going to add this to my list of probably five songs I've never heard live. And I, I really want to hear this one now. Um, I think you're off on one thing you said, and it was something about there wasn't necessarily all that much to this song. I'll tell you why the song is amazing. Okay. So it's very Rush, sort of U2, with all of those really cool, broken, clean guitar lines, right? Okay. And there's the huge nod to Rush. We talked about this before, I think, when this came up. It's, I don't know if it was building our perfect sets, but... The beginning there's that huge nod to xanadu like with i think it's like the wood blocks or the super high towns that like that little part that's and they they space it out so it's almost exactly like xanadu in a couple parts and it's so obvious what they're doing there though but you got those really cool atmospheric key keyboards to back it up and it's a slow burn again right so then we go we're turning into this thing it's building on itself it gets heavier and heavier and then we get to the 10 minute mark and we're going to be all introspective. And now we've got a sing-along. It yeah. turns into a sing-along anthem. That's not what this song started as. <laughs> right. That's that's why. And, and this is why we have a podcast about, I'm sorry, Dream Theater. This song right here. This is, like you said, I agree with the part about a clinic. This is a clinic. We end up with a massive sing-along on a song that has no business being that from the way that it starts it's cool as hell. It's like I said, it's got that slow burn, slow groove to it. It's so atmospheric. But it ends up in this. How did we get from here to here? Like, that is so... People do not realize how incredibly difficult it is to do that type of a thing. And do it well and do it consistently. And keep it 12 minutes and so it's not 19 and not 20. You know what I mean? I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I just think this is like... This is one of probably the quintessential... I might switch this to one of my quintessential, you know, maybe not the easiest to get into, but uh, more progressive type dream theater songs. Like you got to, you got to hear this one. If you like this, you're going to love the band. Okay. See, I, I don't think there's a lot here. And I, let me, let me explain. I, I when I say that, I mean, it, it does go to different places. Like a lot of their, their big epic songs, but it, this one does it in a subtle fashion. It kind of, it you know, other songs will go like real mellow to real heavy to real high. Like this one kind of like it kind of stays. Slow burn, man. I'm telling you. Yeah. It's a thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. It, it, and you know what? I'm I'm so addicted to this damn song. Maybe it's just me. Like I'm so used to it that it feels a lot shorter than it is. So maybe it's like Count of Tuscany just... for me. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> yeah, like, right. People are like, how could you like a 19 minute song? Well, because to me, it feels like four. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, JG3 says, Trial of Tears is a Dream Theater classic, through and through. Yeah, I, I, I completely, completely agree. Uh, Kale says, it's a perfect song. Along with Lines in the Sand, if everything else was total crap, these would remain worth the price of admission. Of admission. Yes, 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 yes. There, there's um, not a single song in the entire catalog that has this kind of, of guitar playing the way he's doing these these broken open lines like this that are, like I said, sort of, sort of in this mid to late 80s rush style and there's there's hints of the edge in there just a tad bit too but they don't have a single song that, that has that kind of playing and, and, and those kind of choices on it which is why i love it 
All right. We have a rule on the show, and JG3 just broke it. There, this is a spoiler-free show <laughs> in terms of set lists, and he posted a comment with a spoiler in it, and I didn't read it, thank God. But now he says, what did you think of Mangini's performance of it? Because he did change the... Jay, you just told me that they're playing my favorite song. Now I'm not going to be surprised. It didn't show up on the set oh. list I saw. Damn That's it. if they even do another American tour. It's it's not on here. The last two I, I don't saw. Don't tell me anything. Jay, I'm going to ban your ass from the chat. <laughs> all right. I won't tell you they're playing Pull Me Oh, under. okay. All right. All right. Okay. He's talking about the 2014 tour. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. Hey. So, John, don't go back in a time machine. You're going to get Look spoiled. Okay. Well, okay. You didn't specify that, Jay. You and Kale says that's on breaking the fourth wall, dumbass. Okay, I'm I'm aware. But the way you guys were talking, you were talking about the current tour. So, Jay, I apologize. I think he's so saying my doom, fault. doom bass or doom bass like the fish. <laughs> nice. Um, way to, I, way to spoil 2014 for John. <laughs> what the. F- uh, so well, hey, the way they were phrasing it, man, I thought they were talking about the current list. Anyway, um, to answer your question, which was uh, now I'll pull it up here, what did you think of Mangini's performance of it? Because he did change the feel of the drums a bit. It's definitely his own spin compared to Portnoy. I really like both versions. Yeah, I did have a problem with it. I thought it was cool. Um, again, I I, I don't have a problem with anything Mangini's done. I, I think he. I think, you know, he he definitely does justice to the parts. He doesn't change them up to where it's like, what the hell are you doing? And, you know, again, the only thing is, like, Portnoy just has a little bit more of a rock feel to him. And I, I think that's what is the difference between the two drummers. So, you know, I, I think Portnoy's style fits better on a record like this. But that having been said... I, I thought it was great. I loved it. It's it's not like I was sitting there listening to it in 2014. Kale, you will not let this go. Kale, you ass. Wait, before you get to that, there's a great comment from the CMS Network. Translation of this conversation, Brian is musically smart. John sings A-H-A songs for money. Did you just say A-H-A? That's what it says. It's aha. You know it's aha, you piece of crap. Man, look, it's my birthday show. I should be catching all this shit, damn it. It's been one night I don't catch it's shit. It's not even your birthday yet. <laughs> I said it's my birthday show. I know. When is your birthday anyway? Uh, it's, actu- it's actually uh, actually Sunday. Never mind. I don't care. I'm yeah. not getting you a damn thing. So, <laughs> I probably, probably won't even call you. I know. Oh, my God. Um. Yeah. No. Are you uh, sure it's a- not A-Ha? <laughs> Adish, hey. That's Adish. It's very artistic. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, closing out that comment, Jay, I, I, I didn't have a problem with it. I thought it was cool. I, I didn't think it was too different, at least at least to my ears. Like, it was, I, I didn't notice anything. It's not like I was listening to my favorite song going, wait, what the hell was that? Like, not like when you go see Metallica and you're listening to the Four Horsemen now and it's, you know, instead of hearing dick the gad dick the gad dick the gad by Lars, you're hearing the drumbeat for Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. So. You betcha. <laughs> Jay, you better believe it. <laughs> so, um, well, there, there we have it. Uh, you know, my personal favorite Dream Theater album. I just, I love this record, and it's, it's just. I mean, there's other records that move up and down my list and stuff like that. Like, you know, like Distance Over Time surprised me because that's way, that's way up in my list, and I didn't expect that to happen. You know, this late in their careers, because usually the later stuff is good, but you know, 
you're always comparing it against the classic material and distance over time kind of surprised me and um, you know view from, view from the top of the world is great and obviously there's always images and words and I'm a huge six degrees fan but nothing has topped falling into infinity for me it's just it's a different vibe it's still very much dream theater and I think I just really latch on to the again that jam feel of it we've we've mentioned that so many times tonight but that's really the that's the, like the very first thing you I think of when I think about this record. It's just a little more jam oriented. So, uh, well, you, when we finally get to our, uh, and we're going to do like probably a month long tease to make sure everyone's on board. When we finally get to our full album rankings, I mean, I don't. This is going to be hard where to put this one for me. <laughs> I mean, obviously, spoiler alert: you've got it number one. I don't think you're going to change that. But, but uh, it's just going to be so difficult because with so many albums, there's going to be stuff buried. At the end, and I'm going to get absolutely crucified, you know, for for putting stuff where it is. Um, it, we 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 mostly know what album I'm talking about. That's not this one, but uh, I think this <laughs> one may have moved up a few notches. That's good, man. I so mean, that's that's kind of cool because it's like you know, we, this is now the second or third record. You're like, yeah, this is actually I, I enjoyed I, it more than I thought. Which I, is, I which feel is like cool. this is kind of a black cloud silver lining type one, one for me. Like the ones I really really. I love and I, I definitely hate still hate the second song. Um uh, there's a couple that are like eh. You know, they're they're good, but but you know, the ones that the huge massive standout songs just just blow me away. So it's it's sort of similar to that in a way. And I I know sonically it's nothing like it at all. Mm-hmm. But I also think if you look at Black Clouds, you know, the tone of it, it changes song to song pretty pretty aggressively. So it, maybe it's the closest thing we have to you know it's hard to say something is eclectic i guess when it's as metal as black clouds is for most of it but it's an eclectic album similar in, in the, that this one is in my, in my opinion yeah no i i completely get that and i mean it, it does kind of change vibes throughout which is cool and um I, I i like the variance of stuff but how it stays in that same kind of vein you know i mean the ballads on this record and again i i don't would you call Annalie a ballad? I, I think it's a ballad, yeah. Okay. I, I, I classify a thing a ballad that's got kind of that sort of plotting quarter note, almost sort of a type deal with the piano, um, you know, where you, you could just sit down and play that with the piano and nothing else, and you're likely going to be fine. Uh, it, granted, it twists and turns some at the end there, but, yeah. but uh, you know, yeah. I mean, maybe it's not a power ballad per se, but, but uh, yeah, it... I don't know. It's it's gonna be. I don't know where I'm gonna put this record. When we rank them. I started to think about like as much as excited as I am for that episode. I'm kind of like not looking forward to. It. All right, Robert Reams. So I don't remember this song. I only heard it a few times. What what are your thoughts on "Raise the Knife"? It's I, better than better than a lot of the songs that made the album. But I get how it didn't make it. Yep. Um. Yeah, he's right. He you know Robert says score version was incredible. That too is the first time I heard it. Yeah, th- this was one of the yeah didn't make it songs and. I'm completely in disagreement with Robert saying I get how it didn't make the album. I don't. When when they played this live at score, I was not familiar with it. And my buddy Matt Wardlaw, um, who I went to the show with, uh, he actually, if you go back in our archives, we did a deep dive into score, Matt and I, so that's the uh the bald dude. Um 
not very attractive, not not very bright. Um, <laughs> I hope he so very this. similar to you, except the bald part. Exactly. Basically, your <laughs> so, twin. Pretty much. Your bald twin. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, like, he said, "You don't know this song. This was on that disc of rarities I gave you." And I, I didn't put two and two together. So, yeah. Now that I've obviously heard it a ton of times, listening to score and then going back and listening to the, you know, the demos for um, and the unreleased stuff from Falling Into Infinity. I, this song would have been kick ass on the record. The only thing that I can think of is that it. Again, it's a little too progressive, I think. Maybe it was a little proggy for for what they were trying to go for on the record. Um So we're at seventy eight minutes now on before if before you add this song. Really? Does, does that push us almost into double album? We yeah, like well, yeah, we still like cassettes at ninety seven, right? No, isn't it? Because was is doesn't a CD hold like seventy seven minutes or something seventy eight? I think that's I think that's the number. Yeah. So yeah, may, maybe maybe that's why I don't know. I mean I I mean because I I think it's too obvious to say like well if you got to pull one off which one you're pulling off like you say you not me right but you know when you spend the money to write with Desmond Child you're not going to pitch that one <laughs> so you're not exactly throwing that away. Uh, Do you think God. like Slayer ever called Desmond Child? <laughs> <laughs> Carrie sat down with Carrie King. <laughs> Could you imagine? Oh. He, he, he. I want to do like a snapping, like acapella thing here, but I still want to talk about like killing, rape, murder, and death. Well, that's that's uh, <laughs> that, that's where the song 213 came from, actually. The song about Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment was co-written uh, with Desmond Child. <laughs> okay. Not many people know that. A <laughs> little, little Slayer factoid for you here on, uh, right. on Talking Into Infinity. So, uh, yeah, like... Your comment about ranking is interesting because I, I've I've told you before, like on my on my nerd show, we had, we ranked all the Star Wars movies and then we ranked all the Marvel movies, and like the bottom of the lists and the tops of the lists are pretty easy. The middle stuff sucks because it's this conglomeration of stuff you all like almost equally, and you feel guilty ranking something lower because you're like, but I really like that one, like. So for me, it's it's always okay. Like when I have them, like two records. Let's say when we got fifteen albums. Let's say I'm deciding between ten and eleven. I go, okay. Would I rather listen to this one or this one? And whichever one gets the nod is number ten. Then I pick another one. I'm like, yeah, I think this will go down. Then I go, okay, nine and ten. Would I rather hear this or this? And that's how I kind of like bump them up and down. It's it's a pain in the ass, but um, man, it's whew, man. <laughs> Chris Aiken, Slayer called Desmond Child a pussy. <laughs> Ooh, that, that's Slayer. I tell you, he gets angry sometimes. <laughs> uh, JG3 side note, John, what did you think of Quantum Mania? I actually haven't seen it yet. Side so. note, no one cares. Yeah. Okay, next. <laughs> yes, yeah. that you got to got to tune into the Nerf Herder Council for that one, JG3. Um, yeah. So before we get out of here, uh, the guys in the chat are having a conversation about Metallica. And I'll just bring this up for a minute because we, one of our upcoming episodes in the next few months, we are going to do a deep dive into And Justice for All. And show note, I believe uh, March 6th is the one that you are going to be out of town, correct? Our next episode? 
I'm not 100% sure yet, but it's possible, yes. Okay. Well, more than likely, that one's going to be a Pantera deep dive. So we may have a very special guest on the show. He's been on with us before, but uh, he wants to deep dive Cowboys from Hell. So we might actually have a Pantera deep dive for you. But, um, So JG3 and uh, Kale are talking about Metallica and James Hetfield not being his metal anymore in the chat. And I'm just going to solve this for you guys, okay? Lars Ulrich is the biggest piece of shit ever. He's an f- absolutely fucking terrible drummer. He ruins those classic songs. And Hetfield kind of still has it. I think if you take all of the main like big bands that we love, Hetfield still sounds the closest to his classic self, at least when he's singing, I think, of almost anyone. So you got to give him credit. The one thing I will say, and you guys are talking about this, he, that whole Papa Het, look, I'm a grandpa, high families, like that's got to go. That just has to go. That is not. That is not Metallica. It's that they they got to stop that shit. They absolutely have to stop that shit. I kind of like getting a big giant hug right before I'm trapped under ice. Though. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I'm gonna counterpoint awesome. counterpoint something though. <laughs> oh. Was it always Lars' job? to get the killer riffs out of James. And has Lars lost that ability, and or James no longer has the ability to get the killer riffs? Which is it, or is it both? I, I, I don't know that Lars does anything but arranging. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, when you watch, like, the behind-the-scenes stuff, he, he will say, like, do that thing again, do that, but he doesn't have anything to do with the actual construction of what James is playing, I, I just no, think James... no, no. But he's he's a sounding board for like, dude, you got to go. We got to do something better. You know what I mean? He uh... he. I, 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 as far as I understood it, he was the one that pulled, sort of playing the riff. I'm not I'm not saying he played the riffs, but he was adept at sort of getting the best out of him and getting it arranged. I, I don't know. It's not that, or if that's not the case, you know, I'm I'm just saying that was my impression. I could be totally wrong. I just I, I don't know, dude. Like when you when you watch the some kind of monster documentary, and right, discuss metal, Joe. Careful, Brian. It's cold down there. <laughs> Hold on, I got to get this. I think it's the Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> Are we really gonna do Metallica puns? Seriously? Uh, no, we're Please, not. Please don't. You know you and I will just keep going on and on. Yeah. Like They're, These are oh. sad but true. All right. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. All right. Kale's I'm... officially banned. Death Magnetic is still my favorite album. What? <laughs> just stop. What? Kale? It's no. sad enough that, that John actually thinks it's a decent album, but the fact that it's your favorite, that's even worse. Well, how is it not decent? Because I it's mean... awful. It's oh, drag. shut up. Shut up. You you've got you've got like pure drizzling shit. Like load, reload, and sane anger. And death and you're magnetic. Gonna, and you're gonna you're gonna lump death magnetic yes. in there? That's how bad it is. All right, hold on. Discuss metal Joe. He's gonna answer this for us. If you believe Jason Newstead one hundred percent, Lars and James take turns being in control of the album they're working on that's why everything changes album to album well it doesn't change that much album to album anymore it's all pretty bad no matter who's in charge i guess (laughs) i mean it could be worse it could be worse dude i mean 
We, we, wow. we already talked about this last show. That's not See, the bar for Metallica. It could be worse. It, Yeah. It Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> no. no. Oh, my God. Robert Reeves says, Brian, it's time to hit the lights. God damn it. We're not going to do this. <laughs> We're not going to do this. <laughs> I'm telling you, Brian and I can go all night with these damn song puns. Uh, oh my lord! Yeah, I, I dude, I, I I disagree with you. I mean, it's I, I'm not saying it's they're great albums by any means, but they're they're damn solid. It's like okay, they're listenable. I mean, it's not crazy memorable, but well, that's what we that's what we determined. We said there's a difference between listenable and memorable. Yeah, but, any, I, but I, anyway, we are going to deep dive and justice for all. Correct. Hell yes, we are. Yeah, we actually have uh, the rest of the year. We have our, our episodes all lined up. Uh, <laughs> my buddy Jason Clues, Circle J. Good to see you, buddy. Hope you're good down there in Florida, bro. He says, Lulu proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that it could be worse. <laughs> I actually tried to look that up on streaming services the other day just to just to try and like, like I, I never got through it, like just to see how long it would take me. And I couldn't find it. <laughs> I mean, let, let's like let's decide to work with a guy who's like literally the least talented, like and most famous turd for doing nothing, Lou Reed. Can, thank that you. That ever walked the planet. <laughs> like, thank you, I, dude. I, I I don't understand. Like, I tried listening to some of his stuff the other day because it came up in like a random playlist that, as I was working, and I'm like, what is this? What what is this? How is this guy great? I I don't. I don't know. Well, it's it's one of those things where everyone crams down your throat how amazing the Velvet Underground and and his solo stuff and all this, but but nobody ever bought any albums. You know, nobody. Like, yeah, you right. can't find three people that can name two songs other than Sweet Jane. Like, I actually didn't mind that as a song, but it's like, okay, this isn't the band or the guy that Metallica needs to make an album with. You know, <laughs> right. I mean, at least do do something like like Trent did, like. Have, do, Johnny Cash, I mean that'd be cool, or, or like Pearl Jam do with Neil Young, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, don't don't freaking pick Lou Reed, my God. <laughs> Aiken with a good point. Elvis Costello might argue your assessment on Lou Reed. <laughs> yeah, let's see. I don't I don't mind Elvis Costello for what he is, but uh, what shitty? <laughs> but I don't want to see him playing with Metallica either. So <laughs> I'll agree on that one. See, and and that's the other thing with Lars, like the guy, like he sits there and defends everything. Like, just admit that something sucked. You did something that's just absolute hot garbage. Instead, it's, no, I defend it. That was cool. It was like no one was doing it. It was so avant-garde. It was just like, fuck you, dude. Stop. <laughs> it was garbage. It sucked. It was crap. Just go away. The the funny thing oh. is, is no one uses the term avant-garde except if they're trying to defend a turd. Thank <laughs> like, you. Like, so, like... You know, if you truly are an avant-garde artist, you don't go around saying that you are. You know what I mean? Like, the same reason Petrucci doesn't go around saying he's an amazing guitar player. It's like, you don't need to do it. Like, yeah, it's sort of implied, and he's not wired that way anyway. Like, It's, it's, the, it's the Sammy Hagar theory. What is understood does not need to be discussed. <laughs> like, um, All right, well, we're at an hour and a half, so let's get out of here. But I did have two things I wanted to plug real quick. Uh, it's kind of one of the reasons why I did bring up Metallica, besides it's a good argument to have, and we're doing a future show about the band. Uh, I was on a recent episode of our good friend Adam Rishog's podcast called That's What's Spinning. Brian, I know you uh, you were on there. You did a song draft. 
with um, Kill Switch. Was, uh, Kill Switch Engage, thank you. Yep. And I just did an episode where it was a song draft of Metallica songs. So that dropped today. So if you look up the That's What's Spinning podcast, I'm co-hosting with Kyle and Adam, our good friend Adam Rishog. And we had a blast. And it was kind of interesting because we had to pick our songs, and then at the end we had to real quick put them into a set list. And it was Ooh, I really hope fun. You sco- a scooped up cyanide real quickly then. <laughs> they were <laughs> all nightmare long. I, that actually was on my list. I I don't I didn't put it in there. How do I mute but, you? I, you're oh. dead. Well, dude, you're only picking thirty songs, right? No, it's ten. Ten songs and two encores. But I mean, there's three three people, right? Yeah. So ten times three, it's thirty, right? Yeah, I'm trying to. I don't remember if I saved mine. I'm trying. I'm trying to see if I have it because I, I I would I could read it to you. It was my my set list kicked ass, and to the point where when we got to the end, we read our set lists out loud. I think it might have been Adam. He's like, "Yeah, this isn't very good." And then I I did mine. And they're like, "Holy shit, yeah, that that kind of works." Like my two encores, it was uh, Call of Cthulhu going into Damage Incorporated. So there you go. Uh, so that was that was that was pretty banging. So well, it you was, gotta, um, you, you, you got to figure the entire Master of Puppets, entire Ride the Lightning, entire Justice for All probably got to go right. Um, I, I don't want to spoil the Justice episode, but, but but I mean, just looking at it from the outside, right? Yeah. By the way, I'm aware my mic just broke. I shut an internet window. I didn't. It was open. So, oh, um, you're, yeah. You're but fine anyway, now. yeah. So, anyways, uh, the 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 latest episode of that's what's spinning. Look that up, and I am the co-host, and we do a Metallica song draft. So that's a really good listen. Check that out. Uh, and again, you know, we are doing an Injustice for All deep dive coming up, and the next episode is going to be a Pantera deep dive, and it is going to be Cowboys from Hell. I have to confirm the special guest who asked to do the record, but um, if he's in, then we're then we're good to go. So. I'd like to leave you with a quote. This is going to be my new thing. I'm going to leave with a quote each week, a musical quote, a thought, if you will, John. The true definition of a gentleman is someone who knows how to play the banjo but refrains from doing so. (laughs) Well played. (laughs) So uh, one other thing, Brian, that we have to promote, and you've heard this. Get that is, I gotta tell my aunt that she plays banjo. Um, for any sub in accordion too works as well. <laughs> Kazoo. <laughs> so uh, last thing for you guys, if you are into uh, the Falling Into Infinity record, specifically "Take Away My Pain," there is a phenomenal acoustic cover of it on YouTube. Just just uh, look up "Take Away My Pain" acoustic cover, obviously, and it, I think. It's a couple of might be Italian guys, but they're very they're foreign dudes and it's professionally recorded. And it is a beautiful version of Take Away My Pain. So definitely check that out. It is it might be the best, you know, acoustic cover I've seen of pretty much anything out there. So if you're into Take Away My Pain, check that one out. I know, Brian, you're into that, too, because we've uh, we have we have definitely discussed that one before. So um, good episode. We fixed the technical problems at the beginning. You learned a very important lesson, which is don't touch things. <laughs> when you're not yes. techno neither of us are technological so touching things only leads to bad things correct so uh yeah guys thanks a lot for tuning in to another episode of talking into infinity a dream theater centric podcast we will be right back here in two weeks and it will be 7 30 p.m 
Eastern Standard Time. And uh, Brian may or may not be here. So uh, the show topic should be Pantera, but we'll see. Uh, again, if you are tuned in on YouTube, don't forget to click the like button, click the subscribe button, and smash the notification bell so that you are notified every single time that we go live. Uh, don't forget to download the new version of the CMS Network app. So just go to your app store and download that. It's been completely revamped. All of the shows on the CMS Network are there, including yours truly, uh, Talking Into Infinity, so you can get us any time of day on demand. So check that out. And guys, as usual, we really appreciate all you guys in the chat. Kim McLeish, JG3, Robert Reams, Aiken, good to see you, man. Good, to, You're actually doing something. I know you've had a shoulder problem. Uh, Discuss Middle Joe, my um, good, 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 good buddy. Uh, Circle J, good to see you. Obviously, Chastity. And guys, until next time, as usual, carpe diem. <laughs>